I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And there's been a lot of disruption, obviously, in the economy. But one area of the economy has been doing exceptionally well, and that's retailers that sell groceries or items that people consider to be essential. One of those players is Target, and Target has made a decision to raise its minimum starting wage to $15 an hour. And they are, of the major players out there, they are, I guess, second in line after Costco Wholesale did that a while back. But the pay rate of 15 an hour is so very different than historically has been the case in retail. To give you a comparison, Walmart has been steadily raising its base wage, and I think now Walmart, I hope I'm not wrong about this, I think Walmart is 11 an hour, and Amazon and its warehouses is now, I think, also 15 an hour, like Costco and Target has become. And retail has historically been just about the lowest paying profession that we've had in the country and employs millions of people. So this is a major shift going on with retailers uh, raising wage rates. And you don't have to worry at all that raising the pay to employees is going to somehow increase prices to you. And there are two reasons for that. First is retailers are in a hyper, hyper competitive market. We are the most overstored country on earth with square footage, typically three to five times more square footage devoted to retail in the U.S. than other developed countries. The second thing is that technology and automation is actually reducing the number of employees needed to generate the same dollar in sales for major retailers. And Walmart is experimenting with a store that they hope to roll out to all their locations that will eliminate all traditional staffed cash registers. That you will, in fact, do self-checkout with people there to assist you if you need it, but that the stores are going self-checkout in, in entirely entirety. And so they're doing it 100% cold turkey in one location, learning what works and what doesn't, and no doubt that's going to roll out everywhere. Uh, various systems being used for automated cleaning of stores, inventory of stores, where machines replace jobs that used to be done by humans, make it possible to increase productivity to a level where retailers can raise the hourly rate and still maintain their profit margins and maintain the prices you expect. Target included as part of this a number of additional things, one obviously that came, actually two, that have come out of the effects of coronavirus. Now employees 
get free virtual doctor visits. So to eliminate presenteeism, somebody coming into a place of work who's ill and spreading illness to other workers and to customers, the idea is give people the opportunity to do an online visit with a doctor to determine whether or not they're A-OK and not having to worry about the cost of the time involved in going to see a doctor. The other thing that obviously has come out of coronavirus is backup child care being made available because child care has been a big, big issue. And then, uh, oh, here's a third thing that's obviously coronavirus related. Free thermometers to any employee who wants one. But the, the big news is, in fact, the higher hourly rate wage. And I know that people think that higher wages just can fall out of the sky. But the reality is what creates more wealth for a society and for individuals in that society is productivity increases. When a factory is able to more efficiently make an item, uh, when a retailer is able to do so, any business where technology makes it possible to get more production of whatever type it is, whatever is measured for a particular business, um, per hour worked of an individual is what creates the opportunity for people ultimately over time to make more money. It's time for your questions here, and if you post a question for me at clark.com ask, one of the ways we answer it is with producers Kim and Joel asking your question for you. And Kim, who's up? Today, up first is Karen in Florida. She says, I understand that gas prices have gone up, but what I don't understand is why every gas station in my area has the exact same price listed for unleaded. I know gas ownership is usually some sort of a monopoly, but normally you can still shop around for a difference within five cents or so. Have you noticed this as well? Okay, so there's two things that happen with gas pricing. The major oil company stations set the price that their stations can sell at. So they use a, um, each uses their own proprietary system. But near my home, we have three major oil company stations. We have no independents. And magically, all three of them right now are charging the identical price for gasoline that is about 40 cents higher per gallon than you'd pay at one of the warehouse clubs and about 20 cents higher than you'd pay at an independent gas retailer. What's happening with the sale of gasoline is we have gone to basically three tiers of pricing. We have what the major oil companies charge at their captive stations, and by the way, they're not consistent at all. If there's another zip code where, or in their trading zones, they face enormous competition from independents or from warehouse clubs. The price will likely be lower than it would be in an area where they don't directly face that competition, but it'll still be much higher than you'd pay at the independents or at the warehouse clubs. So, the reason you see the tweedly d tweedly dumb pricing is usually because of the it's it's not considered to be price fixing although i don't understand why but the major oil companies putting those 
prices up in concert, essentially, at their captive locations. Now, then you've got these fast-growing chains like Wawa, Sheets, and Quick Trip in the eastern and midwestern parts of the country that are offering very aggressive pricing on gasoline and growing very quickly and running stations that are all what are known as pumpers, where they sell huge gallons of gasoline per day and usually somewhere around three times what an oil company captive station would do. And then the warehouse clubs that may sell nine times the amount of gasoline per day is the majors. Now, the warehouse clubs sell such high volume that their prices per gallon could actually change every time they get a delivery truck that may be several times a day because they're usually paying spot prices. So, yes, there are games being played by the majors. The others are responding to the pricing they're paying in the market to get their fuel. Joel? Clark Ernie in Georgia says, my employer is stopping the 6% match starting in July. And I wanted to ask, should I keep contributing to my 403B at the college I work at, or should I fund another retirement account option at this time? So 403Bs generally cost huge amounts more in ongoing management fees. And a lot of times we'll have an absolute ripoff thing called a surrender charge. So lacking a match from your employer, at the very least, move to a Roth IRA for the first phase of what you do to save for retirement. Now, I say first phase. For many people, it's going to be the only phase because a Roth, you're allowed to put six grand a year in. Unless you're 50 and over, you're allowed to put 7000 a year in. So if you want to save more than that, then I guess beyond that, you would go back and contribute some in the employer's 403B, but your main investing should be in a Roth IRA and only with a low-cost company. And I have a list of the big low-cost companies for you at my investment guide at Clark.com, including the fund choices I recommend typically for people inside a Roth IRA. Kim? Susan in Washington says, my husband and I are both public school teachers. Last year, he was diagnosed with a serious heart condition. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. And thus, he is high risk in the COVID-related category. We're concerned about him returning to school in the fall. So what do you think? Should he take a leave of absence for about a year? Or should he retire early? Or should he just risk going back to school? Just so you know, he just finished his 25th year of teaching, and he's in his late 50s. So going back would be a potentially life, uh, life and death decision. And so based on what you've said and the obvious worry in the posting of your question, it would be a terrible idea for him to go back into the classroom. There may be an opportunity for him to teach remotely as there are Uh, a meaningful number of young people who have vulnerabilities, immuno disorders and other things that make it potentially unsafe for them to be in the classroom. So there are going to be needs, uh, situations where teachers are needed to do remote learning, even if the main thrust of teaching in the schools this fall 
is in the classroom, there will still be a need for people outside the classroom. If with 25 years, your husband's eligible for taking a substantial pension, then he does certainly have the option of retiring, taking that pension, and then as an independent contractor doing distance learning. And I think any of those options are superior to just taking leave without pay if that's the other option you're considering. Because I would think almost certainly at his age and years of service, he's earned a very meaningful pension. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Hey, pretty good, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. How can I serve you today? Well, I got some good news. I plan on getting married on July 28th in the Philippines. Wow. Yep, we've been engaged engaged for over six months, and we met a year and a half ago. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So, of course, my concerns are, with the coronavirus, the the travel requirements change daily, it seems like. I was just wondering what sites or what your input would be like for, you know, will travel even be possible uh, at this time, would you suggest uh, going with straight with like a, a Delta instead of a third-party travel because of cancellation policy? Well, it's interesting you said Delta. What I would recommend to you is whatever airline is that it's a good idea to buy direct from whatever airline rather than from any of the third-party travel sites. The third-party travel sites let people down so badly earlier this year and uh, it was it was an abomination how bad everything went it's also easier with the recancel the reschedule policies that airlines have been offering if you have booked directly with an airline having said that getting to the philippines um what part of the country do you live in mark i'll be flying out of minneapolis Minnesota. Okay. So uh, that's why you mentioned Delta, because they're uh, so completely dominant in Minneapolis. So one thing you may find on fares is that fares to the Philippines are only competitive from the West Coast, and especially from Los Angeles or San Francisco. And you may find that you'll get a better deal buying one ticket from Minneapolis to California, and then a separate ticket from California to the Philippines. Okay. And I would look at, uh, do you know about using Google Flights? Yep. So if you go to Google Flights and you start checking fares from L.A. and San Francisco, uh, you may find the huge difference I'm talking about. And then again, you may say, I don't know what Clark's talking about. I'm not seeing those. And then you're able to make a call on it. But with with any airline, one of the things is don't necessarily go with whoever's the cheapest. Go with whoever has the most liberal policy on rebooking free a penalty right now. Yep, very good. Yeah, that was my main concern is because um, I did use Viama over Christmas. And their return flight, they almost changed me to fly into Atlanta. And that was my final destination instead of minnesota i had to give them a call back so that's why i wanted to book directly with one of the um, 
main airlines. And I prefer that idea anyway, especially right now. You also could consider buying as an overlay a trip insurance policy that allows you to cancel for any reason. And those policies tend to cost 9% of the cost of your airline ticket, and they give you a 75% refund typically. So you eat 25%, and the trip insurance eats 75%. Sounds great. All right, and best to you. I hope you're able to pull off the wedding on July 28th just as you wish. Thank you. I appreciate that. Certainly. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And if you are a procrastinator and you've come up with no ideas what to get the uh, Father's Day gifts for fathers in your life, could be grandfathers, fathers, whatever, uh, know that we have a comprehensive list at clarkdeals.com of things you could potentially get for the father in your life, although <laughs> guys are so hard to buy for, so difficult. Hopefully we've got something there you would like. On our guide, I saw uh, one of the items that we had just posted that I thought, wow, that's perfect for my wife. So she's getting a Father's Day gift, <laughs> at least a deal that was a deal because of a Father's Day sale. So Monday was a really crummy day for most Americans with their cell phones. Uh, first, T-Mobile had a massive outage that made it uh, nearly impossible for 13 hours for T-Mobile subscribers to make or receive phone calls, or to make or receive text messages. And for some reason, the T-Mobile problem bled over and caused more minor problems for people on the AT&T and Verizon networks, even though neither of them were having a network issue. Uh, as to why that is, that it would bleed over, I'm clueless. And the networks that we rely on so much have so many different parts to them that are done by third parties. In fact, T-Mobile had, had this problem because a third-party contractor they use in the southeastern United States had a circuit failure, and it basically cascaded, almost like what happens with a blackout when you have a power blackout where a little thing at a substation can feed on itself and bring down a widespread part of a network that's what happened now we faced something Monday that was something that was not done maliciously but let's face it we have clear threats that are from people who want to destroy us in the world, like the Chinese and the Russians and the North Koreans and who knows who else, and our networks potentially are vulnerable. And that's why you hear me talk about being prepared for the unexpected, why I have a small amount of cash in my house if there's no way 
that you can use electronic means to pay for things or use plastic. And that's why we have a, a non-perishable supply of food in our house. There are different things that you and I can do to be flexible and be prepared when unexpected things happen. And with technology, we just expect them to work. And one thing I should tell you, that people that are technologically savvy were very easily able to work around the inability to normally communicate that hit T-Mobile with a bullseye and glancing blows to Verizon and AT&T by using data side functions. So a data side function would be using a video app or a video service or uh, using something like WhatsApp or Viber or GroupMe or any of the communication apps that work on the data side. I made and received phone calls using these apps uh, in order to be able to continue to communicate and people I know that I'm constantly texting with during a work day, I sent them messages over these alternate platforms. We use Slack internally over these various formats, letting people know that that was the way to communicate. And so you need to think through when there's some kind of problem, how you get around it. Our internet service was down a couple of weeks ago for two days in our home. And so what did we do in that time? We used hotspotting capability that comes with our cell phone service. So you need to not think linearly. When technology is not performing, either because of bad acts of a, a foreign power or because of just a technological mess up, you need to think through, how do I continue to do whatever it is that normally I would do that I can't for who knows what period of time that would represent. And it's time for your questions that you've posted at clark.com slash ask. And who's up next? Clark, it's me. And Ashley has a question. She's in Utah. She says, I've owned my home for one year and my loan servicer recently changed. I know that that's kind of normal for a servicer to change. But is it normal for there to be two hard pulls on my credit report when that happens? No. <laughs> she says, is this going to affect my credit score and what can I do? Two, you're sure they're hard pulls and not soft inquiries? Man, I have never heard of an abuse of a customer like that. That would have to be a clerical error at that, at that mortgage service or a bank that's taken over servicing because that is an inexcusable action that harms your credit for with two hard pulls, that would be a significant impact for a number of months. Uh, could impact your score somewhere around 20 to 40 points, just guessing widely, because I'm not certain exactly what number two pulls would affect. And I'm hoping that it turns out that it is a soft inquiry which would not impact score to my knowledge the credit bureaus offer no procedure to undo a hard inquiry that 
was inappropriate. And that's something I would like us to find out about because that is a, that is a significant thing if a large number of accounts were taken over by a particular servicer and everyone was hit with improper hard inquiries on their credit. Now, one thing, any time your mortgage surfacing is sold, it's very common that the lenders will also screw up on your mortgage balance. And balances will not transfer accurately, usually not lowering the balance to what the current balance is because of the time period involved in negotiating the transfer of your loan. You want to print out, if you don't have one already, your own amortization schedule on your loan with the date it started, the interest rate, and the length of term, and then you'll be able to track whether the new servicer is reflecting your balance properly or, in fact, costing you thousands of dollars with an inaccurate balance. But, boy, that fires me up if those were hard inquiries. Kim? John in Texas also wants to talk credit scores. He's interested in getting a Fidelity Double Cash credit card. He's already got five other credit cards. He's got a really high credit score, around 805. But he's also going to be soon selling his home and buying a new home. So would it be smarter to wait till they arrange the new home loan to get the credit card in order to preserve the credit score? Or would canceling one of his other cards help preserve his credit score? Okay, so one thing I'm smiling because you took two cards there and combined them, Fidelity Double Cash. There's Fidelity, which has its 2% back, and then there's City Double Cash. Well, he's definitely looking at the Fidelity one because he wants to use it to help him save within a Fidelity IRA. Okay, so... The thing is, you don't want to do any applications for credit close to when you're going to get a mortgage because you will have that temporary impact on your credit score. So even though it's so tempting to get the fantastic Fidelity Investments 2% cashback credit card, wait until after you have completed the transaction of buying the new home and mortgaging for it before you get the Fidelity card. Now, the only exception to that would be if you're outside a six-month window. If you're planning to um, buy that new home and close on a mortgage on it more than 180 days out, you're fine to go ahead and get the Fidelity. The other thing that you asked, though, about closing an account, don't do that. That actually lowers your credit score and it's best to leave accounts you have in existence open. Joel? Clark Jonathan in Georgia says, my home is 15 years old and I'm on the same water heater and AC unit. My emergency wow. fund is growing and I could, could potentially replace one of them if needed. I'm not a fan of warranties, but should I consider a home warranty to temporarily cover these items in the event of failure? By the way, you and your team are the best. Well, thank you for that. That's very kind of you. And A lot of people will do that, that they don't buy uh, one of those home warranties or service contracts till they're facing down really, really old mechanical systems in their home. And that is a strategy people use, although you need to read the contract, not the brochure, closely 
to see how older appliances are covered if you go under one of those things that costs like 550 or so a year. So uh, you can try that, but I'll tell you, particularly in the summer, our history of hearing from people who have home warranties is that when the air conditioning goes out in the summer, they just never will respond to fix it. They try to wait you out, sweat you out, so that you don't try to make a claim against the home warranty. And that's certainly not every home warranty company, but we only hear from people who are having that problem. Kim? Eva in California says, um, I'm looking for a really private way to make phone calls. I've looked at UMA, but it's not end-to-end encryption. This means unless the other party is also using UMA, there's not much privacy or security. Is that correct? And if so, then what's the best way to have privacy and security when making a phone call? You know, if you're doing a conversation that is something that needs to be ultra-private, then both parties really need to download one of the apps that allow for true end-to-end encryption. Because only if both parties do, no matter which one you're using, that's the only way you really get that privacy. The one that is probably the most popular in the marketplace for people who are really worried about something being private and staying private is Signal with which you can do texting, voice calls, and video calls, and know that your information will be safe just within the two of you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Matt joins us here on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. How is it going? Clark, it's going well. It's going real well. It's a sunny day here in Tennessee. Can't complain. Well, good. Well, how can I be of service to you, Matt? Hey, I've got a question. Um, So... My father actually passed away when I was two. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you, uh, well, you never really got because, to know your dad at all. I'm so sorry. I know. I appreciate that. Um, one of the great things my company, uh, my dad's company did actually for me at the time was they contributed to a, a, an account, which my mom then put into a mutual fund. Um, so now... About two weeks ago, I was handed a check for about $22,000, and uh, I am 24. I have about two years, three years until I'm thinking about buying a house. Um, so what are your thoughts on as to what I should do with the money? Should I keep it in that fund? Should I maybe do something else with it? What are your thoughts? So if this money is going to be used in the next two or three years to buy a house, 
you can't really invest for a time period that short. At that point, you're really just a saver. Anything under five years, you're a saver, not an investor, because the risk you face is stock investing is a long game. In the short term, you know, values go wildly up and down. So you don't want to, if the goal is to take the 22 and put it into a home, basically you park it for the next two years or so so that you know it's all there and available to you. I mean, this is a lousy time to park money because what you can earn on savings is one point something percent. So it, it won't really go anywhere over the next few years up. And But the good news is it won't go down. Okay. So uh, having that to be able to put towards a down payment on a home is fantastic, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a blessing. That's what I was saying. It's it really... What a thing to do in 1998, and now for it to come full circle is, is awesome. So can't, can't complain about that. So the 22, you said you said to me you got a check, right? Yes. All right. So you may owe some tax potentially okay. on that money? Yes. I, that's, that's, I guess that's a two-part question because that, that's something I haven't considered yet. Um, yeah. How, how does that work down the road? Uh, do I need to file that on this year's taxes? or? Yeah, so if the shares were sold this year and it was held in a regular investment account, probably some form of custodial that became your account when you became an adult, mm-hmm. the money is subject to tax. Probably, I mean, I don't know the nature of exactly how it was invested, but hopefully it will be what's known as long-term capital gains, which is a much lower tax rate than if it's okay. taxed as like regular income and you'll know that from the paperwork you get for it having been turned over to you but you'll need to um, know that a certain amount of the money will go to paying tax down the road okay okay but, but this is this is found money i would go on bankrate.com click on best savings rates and cds and okay either put money in a one-year CD, put the money in a one-year CD, holding back a few thousand for a potential tax bill in a regular savings account with an online bank, or put it all in regular savings with an online bank. Either is fine. Awesome. So best to you, and again, I'm really sorry about the circumstances of you having lost your dad at such a very young age, but what Mm -hmm. a kind thing his employer did and this gives you such a start yeah thank you clark i appreciate your time and i appreciate what your team does for us thank you so much matt you're listening to the clark howard show thanks for joining us today the clark howard show is produced by kim drobes joel larsgaard deborah reese and jim ayers and remember 24 hours a day we're there to serve you at clark.com and clarkdeals.com 